What do you think it is about athletes like LeBron James who put countless hours into the gym perfecting their skills? Or musicians like the Beatles who, as author Malcolm Gladwell calculated, put over 10,000 hours of performance time in, in a club in Hamburg, Germany before ever making it big in the US? What do you think it is about these stories that inspire us? Is it their success or their devotion to their craft or their commitment to seeing their dreams come true? I think it's that we all understand that any kind of success requires a clear-eyed, full-hearted commitment. And we all want that level of devotion for ourselves. But it's not commitment to anything that we find admirable. I mean, season ticket holders for the Atlanta Hawks are committed. They paid the money, they wear the shirts, and actually publicly talk about their team. They gave their time and energy to show up. But has any of their efforts ever won our city an NBA championship? I think you know the answer. No. No. And mm -mm. come on, mm -mm. no one finds the devotion of a fan admirable or inspiring. No one is making an Oscar-winning movie about a guy who has season tickets to the Hawks. No! No! I refuse! No! It's because we know it takes more than just being a fan of something to make an impact. Being a fan of ending global poverty isn't going to solve anyone's problems. Liking a photo on Facebook isn't going to cure cancer or end systemic oppression. And all of us want to make an impact, but are we committed and devoted enough to see it happen? Well, throughout this series, we've been talking about how followers of Jesus have been called by the one we follow to join him in his work of reconciling all the broken things in this world back to the way they always should have been. Or, as Jesus says it, bringing his kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And even though Jesus was killed for his claims to be a king bringing a new kingdom, not everyone hated him. In fact, he had a lot of fans, but fans were not what he was looking for. Jesus was looking for followers. He was looking for fully devoted, completely committed disciples who would give their lives to him. And in this video, we want to discover how a life fully devoted to Jesus and his mission is the only life that can have a meaningful impact in eternity. And that may sound like a big task, but I'm asking you to stay tuned throughout this video because even if you're not sure you believe all that we do, I believe the God who made you has an incredible life in store for you. In fact, no matter what you think about God, I believe he can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and he only has good in mind for you. And here at Community Christian Anywhere, we have found the amazing life of Jesus is possible when we join together in the mission of Jesus to change the world by loving everyone always, one life at a time. And I hope you'll join us in that. Hi, my name is Heidi and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere.
When Jesus began his ministry on earth, he was healing people, feeding thousands, teaching things no one had ever heard, and he began to gain a lot of attention. Those in power were noticing these massive crowds following Jesus, and they were hearing what he was teaching, and they were nervous. I mean, it certainly seemed like he was building a movement, or maybe even a militia, to overthrow the government. Because these crowds saw Jesus, and they thought, This man is the Messiah, the long-promised king who's going to overthrow the Romans and lead the people of Israel back to power and glory. And so they also assumed he's trying to build up a movement. He needs to get enough people, and so he's just healing people and preaching things to build up his popularity so he can get soldiers for his army. But what no one could see is that Jesus wasn't trying to grow his fan base. He wasn't trying to increase his social profile. He certainly wasn't building an army. He was looking for fully devoted disciples. He was looking for people who would follow his example of self-sacrificial love, even if it meant giving their lives. People who would say, nothing matters to me in this life as much as Jesus and his mission for this world. So whatever it takes, whatever I have to give up to follow him, it's worth it. And so fans would come to Jesus and they'd ask him, can I be your disciple? And Jesus didn't say, sure, doors wide open. When can you start? Look at his response. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And I'm like, "Uh, I think the man was looking for a job application, not a riddle. What does that even mean? Well, what Jesus is saying is, if you follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be convenient. I'm not a traveling dignitary staying at the nicest hotels and resorts. We're homeless, we're poor, and we're often on the run. That's not a great sales pitch. But Jesus is making clear, following me is going to cost you. And if you're not up for that, that's okay. Just don't sign up. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this one seems particularly harsh. The man can't even go to his dad's funeral? That's not really what's going on. Most likely, this man's father isn't dead at the moment. This was a common way of saying, hey, my parents are old and I need to stay and take care of the family business and their estate until he dies because if I go away, I'm gonna forfeit the inheritance that's coming to me. So let me just take care of that and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus is like, hey, if your inheritance and your financial goals are more important than me, If, as Jason taught in our last episode of this series, you're unwilling to risk that for me, don't bother following me. Once again, pretty harsh. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this one is particularly scandalous in their society, which held family in an even higher regard than a good old Southern grandma. Family and your obligation to your family was everything. Your allegiance to your family determined your career, your standing in society. And Jesus is saying, you come to follow me, 
I become your family. I become your most important obligation. And if you're sitting on the fence between who matters more, me or your mama, you may not be fit for service in my kingdom. Which is why Jesus later looked at a crowd of fans and said, anyone who wants to follow me must hate their father and mother, brother and sister, their wife or husband, their entire family. People would have been shocked and offended. In our society, Jesus telling a guy to sell all his possessions and give them to the poor if he wants eternal life, that might be the most difficult for us to deal with, but in their culture, this was. Jesus isn't literally saying to hate in the sense of wishing ill or to harm your family, but he's trying to get them to think differently about what family is and where their primary allegiance is. Jesus is asking, does family really come first? It's hard for us to feel how offensive this was. I mean, the immediate reaction most people would have is, okay, this man is a troublemaker. He's trying to destroy the fabric of society. He's asking people to leave their families and follow him. And it gets worse. One time Jesus was preaching and he was surrounded by big crowds and his family shows up to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now imagine how quiet that room was. How offensive. Was Jesus disowning his family? Was he dishonoring his mother? Obviously, you know, I'm going to say no. Jesus loved his mother. Even on the cross, Jesus asked one of his disciples to take care of his mother after he was gone. Jesus was not trying to shame his family. He was trying to get people to see the significance that being his disciple forced you to shift your priorities. There were now higher allegiances than your family and your tribe and your people. Your allegiance was to Jesus and his kingdom and your new brothers and sisters are your fellow disciples. And this was a high cost, but Jesus raised it when he said, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Crucifixion was the most humiliating, painful, shameful way to be killed. It was so intentionally dehumanizing that the Romans wouldn't execute a Roman citizen by crucifixion. And so Jesus is saying, if you wanna follow me, it may cost you your entire life. Are you up for that? We can turn this into a metaphor about self-denial and dying to your wants and desires. But when Jesus was on the cross, I don't think the disciples were confused at all about what he meant. It'd be like if your friend said, hey man, do you love me enough to take a bullet for me? You'd probably say, yeah, man, hey, without question. Then if they pulled out a nine millimeter and put it on the table and said, okay, what about now? You might hesitate. Context matters, right? Well, for 2000 years, people have heard the call of Jesus to follow him, to drop everything, to lay down their lives, their goals and dreams and desires that they would have called their lives, to follow him, to stop being fans and to start following Jesus. In 1812, a young man named Adoniram Judson was about to be the first American missionary to go to the country of India to spread the kingdom of God in a nation that was extremely and often violently resistant to Christianity. 
It was a time when missionaries would pack all of their belongings, not in a suitcase, but in a casket, because this was a one-way trip. The land that they would go to would be the place where they would be buried. This was a real take up your cross and follow Jesus kind of calling. But there was one last thing that Adoniram Judson needed to do. He was in love with this young woman named Anne Hasseltine, and he wanted to ask her father for her hand in marriage. And so Judson wrote a letter that most fathers wouldn't know how to handle. Here's what he said. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the Southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens, saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. In case you didn't catch it, Judson is saying, I know that your dreams as a father is for her to have a long and healthy life, that she should be taken care of financially, and that she would have everything she ever wanted. And I love your daughter, but my first love is Jesus Christ, and He has called me to be on mission with Him in India. So that comes first. What was Anne's father's response? Let her decide. And shortly after, Anne and Adoniram Judson were married. And two weeks after that, they left for India. Can you imagine receiving a letter like that? I'm not sure how I would handle it, but isn't there something admirable about that commitment? I mean, one thing's for sure, those two people were not merely fans of Jesus. They were followers. They were disciples of Jesus, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen who met Jesus. And when he called them to follow him, they washed their nets, dropped them off, left their father's business and their families, and they followed Jesus. Nothing else seemed to matter. Disciples like Zacchaeus, a tax collector who had corruptly stolen from so many people that when he met Jesus, he was willing to pay it back four times what he had stolen. Disciples like Paul who went from persecuting the church to being persecuted by his former friends and colleagues. This is the story of the early church, people who have dreams and plans and priorities. And once they encounter Jesus, nothing else matters. They drop everything to follow him. And he takes their individual lives and he weaves them into this new family that they never planned on. And through this new family of God, known as the church, the world was turned upside down. 
because ordinary people gave up control of their little individual kingdoms and joined together with other believers to spread the kingdom of God together. And now the call of Jesus has come to you and to me. It's our turn. Will you lay down your life? Will you take up your cross and follow the one who gave his life for you? Before Jesus returned to his father, he gave his disciples a simple mission. Go and make disciples of people from all nations. Don't just huddle up, make life all about you and your family and your group and what you want, but give up your life and your wants and your desires and seek first the kingdom of God and what he says is right. Seek first God's will and all this other stuff will be added to you. But this mission was not given to individual disciples. It was given to the church, communities of disciples working the mission of God together. But this mission can't be accomplished by fans. See, a fan is someone who's only interested in what they get out of following Jesus. You know, what are my goals, my dreams? How can Jesus help me achieve those things? What's the bare minimum I have to do and believe to still be in the club? What kind of programs does this church offer for me and for my kids? Fans aren't interested in involvement that pushes them out of their comfort zone. Fans may even feel the call of God to join him in his work and say, you know, when things slow down or, you know, when the kids are older, or when money's not so tight. Because ultimately fans have different priorities and allegiances above Jesus and his kingdom. A fan is building up their own kingdom or their family's kingdom or the kingdom of their business or their nation. And if occasionally those kingdoms can align with God's kingdom, hey, that's great, but it's not their priority. The disciples of Jesus, they drop their nets. They start walking wherever he leads. Disciples of Jesus, they put their hand to work in God's kingdom and they fix their eyes on him and they don't look back at lesser kingdoms. Disciples of Jesus, they lay down their lives and they take up their cross to follow him. This is what the early church lived out that propelled them to overcome the oppression and persecution of the Jewish ruling authorities and even the power of the Roman Empire, which is the most powerful force on the planet. They were fully devoted to Jesus and his mission. They were also devoted to one another. The book of Acts, which is the account of the early church that we have in the Bible, tells us all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, they shared everything they had. You see, many of them had been disowned by their families. They lost their jobs and were being persecuted. They took Jesus' teachings about the family of God seriously. They called each other brother and sister, and not as affectionate nicknames, but as reminders of a new reality. They were united to one another in a way that biological blood and DNA can never do. They were united in the blood of Jesus. Another part of Acts tells us that they devoted themselves to being together to encourage one another. They ate meals together, to pray for one another. For the early church, a sign of their devotion to Jesus was their devotion to this new family of the church. And I believe God is calling us to the same kind of devotion. In our world, in our culture, what does it mean for you to be devoted not only to Jesus as his disciples, to the family of God and what Jesus is doing through his church. What will it take for you to move from complacent to committed, from routine 
to risk from just being a fan to being a follower. And if you think you're devoted, but you're not quite sure, let me ask you a few questions. Are you devoted to attending every Sunday? Do you make it a priority? Do you have relationships here that you're devoted to those people? Are you in a small group where you can know what's going on in someone's life enough that you can regularly encourage them and support them? Do you devote your time and your energy to volunteer and to serve? Do you devote your money and your resources to what God is doing through His church? And I know you have all kinds of reasons and excuses and you wanna argue with whether or not you even have to do any of these things. And I wanna encourage you right now to reach out to me through texting the number on screen if, if that's where you're at. See, all of us have different things that will compete for our devotion to Jesus and His people. But with the time I have left, I wanna to talk to parents who have kids in the home for a moment. And if that's not you, I think you should still listen in. Parents, I have four girls under the age of 10, and I know the pressure you feel to fill up your kids' schedules and get them involved in things that will help them succeed in our world. And when you hear about all this stuff, you just think, you know, Sunday is, it's family time. Our week is so busy and Sunday is when we spend time together. So I don't know if we can do every Sunday. And, you know, and I don't, I don't know that I have time for a small group or a serving team because my kids, they have all these activities they need to do and I don't want them to miss out on any of that. But maybe when things slow down, it'll be different. Can I just push, push back on you for a moment? Jesus is calling you to think differently about your family and your obligation to your children. When Jesus calls you to devote yourself to him and his mission through the church, he's not asking you to neglect your family or, or choose between your family and the mission of God. He's saying, you're the mom, you're the dad. Get your family on mission with God. Here's what happens. When you attend every Sunday, your kids attend with you and they build a rhythm of life that says church matters. And they build relationships that reinforce that church and Jesus matters. When you rearrange your schedule so you can be in small group and you can serve, or you have to rearrange your finances so you can give, when you start building into relationships with other people for the purpose of sharing the love of Jesus, your children will notice. They won't just hear you say that you love Jesus and you think church matters, they'll see it. They'll feel it, especially when you have to say no to some activities and to some purchases that you used to say yes to. So you as a family can invest in what God is doing in the world. You are giving your children a legacy that says nothing matters more than Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, it will mean that your kids will miss out on some things. It means you as a parent won't get certain experiences you've always wanted to have. It'll mean a shift of priorities, and at times it'll hurt. You may be even afraid that you're failing your kids. Jesus is calling you to rethink, is your primary obligation to make sure they never miss out and that they can be successful and admired and they can achieve the American dream? I don't know about you, but as a dad, I'm not sure how I would respond to a letter like the one Adoniram Judson wrote. But I pray daily 
that my children have a love for Jesus that leads them out of routine and into risk, out of complacency and into deeper commitment and out of comfort into the kingdom of God. I pray that their deepest allegiance will not be to me and what I want for their lives or even to following their own hearts and their own dreams, but that Jesus and what he has called them to do would be their highest priority. And I know that will often cost them and it will cost me some things that I've always wanted, but I believe it's worth the risk because I'm risking everything. I'm betting everything on Jesus, that he's faithful and he's true to his word. And that when he says real, eternal, abundant life and joy and peace is found in taking up my cross and following him, I can build my life on that. And I don't know how it'll turn out, and they may look back at me and they may resent me for missing out on some things. But can you admit you're taking a risk too? By not making church a priority, by not investing and getting involved, by not prioritizing your children, building relationships in children's and student ministry, you're taking a risk. The question is, what are you risking on? Are you risking on their ball team or their education? or them never missing out, or just their mood on Sunday morning. What are you trusting in? I'm trusting that the best way for me to live my life and to lead my family is to do what Jesus has called me to do. And I'm asking you to consider doing the same. Not everything in one day, it's not a light switch, but can you take one step? Can you join a small group? Can you join a serving team? or begin to invest your resources in what God is doing. And if you think that all this was just one big sales pitch to get more money or get more volunteers, then call me on my bluff. Don't give to us, don't invest or get involved with us, but find a church community that you see God at work in and devote your time and your resources and your relationships to them. Because Jesus isn't looking for fans, He's looking for followers. And if you're looking for your life to make an impact, this is what it takes. You were made to be devoted to something bigger than you and your career and even your family. You were meant to devote all of yourself to the God who made you and loved you enough to die for you. And He is working through His church.